Welcome back to another episode of Victory Monday. I am your host, Trey, with co-host Kieran, and we are joined today by a special guest for especially the Nashville community, Joe Dubin, otherwise known as Big Joe on the go. Um, so, Joe, thank you for joining us. Joining us, And um, first of all, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, are you a Nashville native, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I grew up uh, here, yeah, and I went to McGavick, graduated back in 86, a long time ago. So uh, I ran the streets of Hermitage and Donaldson, and, uh, you know, we'd go to Hickory Hollow Mall back in the day, Rivergate Mall, and this was all mid-80s stuff. And we'd cruise the malls for hours, and people like, what, did you really did? Yeah, I mean, we all did every weekend. And so then you got to grow up, and then you get married and have kids, and you kind of miss those days. But I, I'm a national native through and through. It's funny. There's, uh, there's a bunch of us out there. People think, oh, there's no more national natives. There's a lot of us out there that's, that are still here, in addition to the 10,800 that are moving to town every single day. But uh, we're here, and I've had chances to leave and TV to go out west to Phoenix and Dallas and Tampa, and it just didn't feel right. I mean, this is home, and then, you know, once the Preds and the Titans got here, and then it started feeling like a big-time city, uh, then the world started moving. So, uh, yeah, I'm proud to say that I'm that uh, unicorn that grew up in Nashville and uh, I'll probably will never leave. And that's fine. It's a great city. I mean, it's everything is great here. And, you know, my kids are here. I mean, my daughter grew up here. She got married to us in Mississippi now, but it is a uh, it's a wonderful place to live. So I'm proud to be from here. I'll be here for life, too. Uh, I may end up there. But anyway, Joe, so Nashville native. Uh, where'd you go to high school? Went to McGavick. It's the same high school The Rock went to. The Rock only went there for six weeks, and then he went to Glencliff for a week, and then he moved to Pennsylvania. His father was a wrestler. So back in the mid-'80s, Nashville and Memphis had a really strong local wrestling scene. So you were based out of here, but you would travel to Southeast. And so his father, they moved here, and his father trained here for a while. He went to McGavick. He came the year after I left, and then – uh, but we claim him as, a, as an alumni. So it's funny. Nobody believes that he went to McGavick. So one night he was on Jimmy Fallon. And Jimmy Fallon brought this picture of him in high school. He's like, oh, yeah, that's when I was at McGavick High School in Nashville and all this other stuff going on. People are like, you weren't you weren't lying. I'm like, well, what would I, if I'm going to lie about something, I'm going to lie that I dated Julia Roberts back in high school. Not about the <laughs> rock going to McGavick, you know. So it's always good that uh, he's our most famous alum right now, even though he didn't graduate. We still claim him, which is fine. Yeah, I like hearing that. I, I feel like I vaguely heard about The Rock going to McGavick before, but while you were in Real high quick, school, before, Karen, before you go, was the fanny pack picture a McGavick picture? I don't think so. I think that was taken in Pennsylvania or his freshman year at Miami, one of those, because he, uh, he, he looks 30 in that picture, which means he probably was a senior in high school, and so I don't think he looked like that at McGavick because he had like a little mustache back then but I don't think so I'd love to say yes but I don't think so yeah so back into the uh where I was going with that you're in high school McGavick uh, I guess we can say uh with the rock but we know you went on and we'll get into like your media career and all that a little bit later but when you were first in high school like did you have any type of like little media gigs or like exposure early on that kind of led to that zero I mean I was a playing football and I was a class clown and I remember a teacher said, somehow, some way, you need to figure out when you get older how to be who you are and get paid for that. I'm like, God, that's a great, that's the best advice I ever got. It took a while. Once you get into TV and working in sports, 
I was able to do that, but nothing in high school, you know, I was school president, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like a big TV or I had plans to do that. I just always thought that it would be a very cool job to get in media because it didn't feel like work. It felt like you're always, and a guy put it really good one time, when you work in the media, you have the front seat to life. I'm like, man, that's really cool way to put it because I can't do an eight to five job. I just can't. Uh, I'm not built that way. And I just, I don't know. So, but nothing in high school led into that. Nothing at all. Uh, you know, everybody has the dreams of being an actor or a singer or a comedian. And if I could do it again, I probably would have left and gone to LA right out of high school or something, but I didn't. And so that's where we kind of stand right now, but it was, uh, but nothing in high school, even college, nothing really. Oh, that was going to be our next question is like, what did, so you get out of high school, graduate from McGavick. Um, did you go to college? Where did you go? Did you know what you wanted to do when you got there? Yeah, I went to a Sam. I went to junior college, played football, got a scholarship there. I went to Sanford and uh, I was a terrible, I mean, I was a terrible student. I, I, I went to class, didn't pay attention. I was out every night of the week in Birmingham. Uh, I looked I like, I was like the rock. I looked 30 and never got carded. Uh, I'd left after my freshman year at a 1.25 GPA. And I'll never forget the academic counselor come to me saying, Hey, uh, you got to up it up. You got to get it up. You know, you're 1.25. I remember telling her vividly thinking, how in the hell did I get a 1.25? I had no idea how I got that. So back then though, all you had to do was get 24 hours in a school year. There was no GPA. You just had to get 24 hours. So now you've got to get your hours plus maintain a certain GPA. I would have never made it. So anyway, I ended up leaving Sanford. Uh, I, I mean, I had a good time. <laughs> and then I had something like 27 jobs between leaving Sanford and getting my degree at MTSU in 1997, which was in uh, journalism. And I started my career at Channel 2 and then it just took off from there. So what were those jobs? Some of those 27, name a couple. <laughs> uh, one job made, I was on Jimmy Fallon because it was the worst summer job ever. Uh, my mom got me a job with this guy building decks. And I, true story, I show up. It's off, it was off of Franklin Limestone Road in Nashville. Never forget it. This guy's name was Archie. I go to build the deck. It's eight o'clock in the morning, guys. He's already drunk. True story. And we're building steps on the deck and he's building them like sideways, maybe one nail in that. And so I'm working with him, I don't know, for like three hours. And I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. So I sneak around the house. And there's only one way out. I've got to get around his truck. And I'm in a beat up car. So as I'm leaving, I tell him to go to hell. And I drive around him. He starts shooting me, true story, with a nail gun from uh, and shooting nails at me. And my car's like, ding, 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 ding. So I leave there. I drive to a pizza hut. I call my mom. And I said, this guy's going to kill me. And my mother in true mother form says, well, did you get the money you were owed for your three hours? That's like, no, mom, I'm not going back. He's going to kill me. So jobs like that. I mean, I worked at a grocery store. I was a bouncer. I was a bartender, landscaping. I mean, all the jobs. And finally gets to the point of like, what are you going to do with your life? And I had a, that epiphany where I was like, I'm going to change my life around. I re-enrolled at MTSU. I took 67 hours in a year. I graduated with a degree in journalism. I got an internship. At Channel 2, I'm also 28 years old at the time, so I'm not 20 or 21. I mean, I know what I want to do. And then I graduated. I got a job at Channel 2 as a cameraman and just took off from there. Six, 67 hours yeah. in a year. Spring, summer, fall, and spring. So if you go a calendar year plus a semester, then yes. So it all all tied in together, man. 
I know I'm literally just sitting here this this uh spring semester with you know 15 hours just wishing I wasn't. I couldn't even imagine trying to knock How old out are you? I'm 20. How old are you? 20. Okay. Try being 28. You're married. You're already out of you've already messed up college once really bad. You just want to get out. You will do anything in your power to because I would like, do I study or I go to this frat party? I'm going to the frat party. Do I study or I go hang out with the sorority girls? I'm going to sorority girls. Then you go back at 27, 28. It's like frat party or studying. I'm studying because it's all about getting the degree and getting the money then. So you'll learn. You'll learn. You'll get there. Yeah. That, so you, you failed the college once and you have all these jobs. And, I, you know, you had the epiphany to re-enroll in the, the year I wouldn't even imagine of 67 credit hours. But what made you want to pick journalism of all things? I had seen, uh, when I was bartending, we had a guy that would come in every night. He worked at Channel 2. He's the assignment desk editor. He assigned stories. And he came in one night. And he looked awful. I'm like, man, what's going on? He's like, man, I was on the phone with the White House all day. I was trying to get Al Gore. He's coming here. I went to an interview with Al Gore. And he's, the more he's talking, I'm thinking, God, what a cool job. You're talking to the White House. This is 1995. So he says, hey, why don't you come visit me tomorrow at work? Uh, and I'll show you around. I said, okay. So I go to visit him at work. It was the day of the Oklahoma City bombing. And I'm standing with him. And all this stuff comes down, the special report, ABC News. And to watch that newsroom go into their mode of covering news, I was like, gosh, this is, this is something else. This is amazing. This is what I want to do. And then that's what I wanted to do because it seemed really cool. It was always changing. It wasn't going the same thing, doing the same thing. But it's happened to be the day of the Oklahoma City bombing in April of 95. And I was hooked. At, unfortunately, I was hooked after that. But to see everything worked, I mean, directors, producers, reporters, bosses, everybody come together was really cool. And I wanted to be a part of that. So if in really 90, cool. yeah, it is really cool. So that, that happens in 95. And this might just be a little off, off topic with, uh, with how we have these questions. But you just saying that made me wonder. So that's 95. And that's when you realize you want to get into journalism. Were you, did you already have like a media job when 9-11 happened? Yes. Yep. I was a cameraman at Channel 2. And uh, I don't forget, I was having my daughter, she's going to go to preschool or watching the Rugrats. And a friend calls me and says, turn on the TV. I turn it on. I see what was going on. And then back then we had pagers. So I get a pager, 911 called the newsroom. I called the newsroom. They said, come in. Uh, we don't know what's going on. But I think a plane hit the, the towers. So we went in for like two hours trying to figure out what's going on. My boss says, you need to go home and pack for that. You'll be gone for a week. So I went home, grabbed all my stuff, threw it in a big bag and took off. And that was that day, that Tuesday, that afternoon, uh, government, metro government downtown started getting on these phone calls that anthrax. There's anthrax. All these buildings were getting evacuated. You know, we're sending crews to D.C. You can't fly. So they're driving up there. So we were here. I don't think I went home for Went to work. I went back to work at noon on Tuesday. I don't think I got home. I went home and showered Wednesday afternoon, and I showered Friday morning. So I was at work basically for four days full time. Crazy man. But it was one of those things where you kind of you work in. And so ever since that incident, this is crazy. Every time I go someplace, I have an extra thing of clothes in my car, even to this day, just in case something happens. So I'm prepared. Hopefully nothing ever happens like that again. So I'm good to go. But it was uh, it was something else. I mean, because everybody was in this work, work, work. Nobody complained and everybody just did their job. It was amazing to see the unity of a lot of people coming together, not only in the newsroom, but 
there's people around everywhere you went because at that moment, everybody was mad. I mean, really mad the next three or four days. And it took a while for it quieted down to it took, I'm not sure it ever really quieted down after that, but uh, it definitely, the world changed that day, big time. So how did you, you, you go through college really fast. Um, how did you get in at News 2? Was it like an internship? And then what was that yeah. first job there like? So everybody was going to work at Channel 4, 3D Kalis, everybody. So I called Channel 4 and I talked to somebody over there like, hey, yeah, I mean, he'll call you back. I'm like, God, and so I'm thinking, well, like, nobody watches Channel 2. Nobody goes to Channel 2. So I called him up. This guy was like, yeah, I'm leaving in two months, but come over and be the intern. And so I went over there and filled out papers. And as you get credit for that, so that was where my 21 hours came in for the fall semester because I got three hours credit for being an intern and went over to Channel 2. And so what I knew was, my first day there, a guy said, look, there's one job on TV. There's about 12 jobs behind the scenes. Learn every job. So when your internship is up, they can't get rid of you. So I learned every job. So I became a really good cameraman. So in uh, April of 97, I graduated. I kept my internship going. And they said, hey, are you graduating? And I'm like, yeah, so we want to offer you a job. You can be the editor of the noon show. We're going to pay $6 an hour. But what it did is it put me on the payroll, gave me insurance through the company. So if I go out and cover, then it was a, like a Tennessee Oilers game. They just moved here in 97. Well, I can do that. Or I can go cover high school football. I can get my foot was in the door. You know, I wasn't on air and I wasn't on TV, but my foot was in the door. And from there, man, I just kept going and just kept knocking on the door, kept moving it, moving it. So at the time, we did all the Titans or the Oilers preseason games, which transitioned to Titans preseason games. So we did these terrible promos like Bears, Titans, Saturday night. So I started writing these promos and give them to a promotions director. And he just kept turning them down, turning them down. And finally, one day he called me up. It was when the Titans were playing the Jaguars in the 99 season, the AFC Championship game, which was on Channel 2. He said, we're going to use your promo. It was a takeoff of the Blair Witch Project. I had a Jaguar helmet. I had a flashlight on there. And I was scared because the Titans were chasing me. And he loved it. And he said, the reason we're going to do this promo is so that you'll stop writing promos. So you'll leave me alone. So we did it and ended up getting nominated for what they call an Alpha Award. It's a big promotion award for ABC and Channel 2 had never been nominated for that at the time. And uh, the guy's like, all right, you get all the promos. So we kept doing promos and promos. And two, uh, three years later, we won that Alpha Award uh, for a Titans promo. So anyway, what that did was it got me in my creative mode, I didn't want to be a cameraman anymore. I want to do stuff more creative and be on the air. And they had no sports jobs opening. So I said, let me go out and be a guy on the go around town and do fun stuff, go to gyms, delis, opening schools. And uh, my GM at the time was like, that's a fantastic idea. And so one thing led to another, and I got the job. And then from there to fast forward it, I was having fun doing Big Joe on the go and 2006, the entire sports team at Channel 2 quit. They all went different places. And then my GM said, hey, I need you to come in and anchor sports on the weekend. I'm like, I don't want to do that. He said, come in, I'll, I'll take care of you. So I went in and it was 2006 in the U.S. The World Cup was going on. And I swore to God, guys, U.S. was playing a country I'd never heard of in the, in the World Cup. And I'm thinking, God, I've never heard of it. Nobody else has. So I did a three-minute sports cast, more like a weekend update, SNL kind of thing. Did it, had a bunch of jokes. Afterwards, my boss calls me and says, I see him calling on my phone. I'm like, oh, God, you know, well, I'm in trouble now. Because I, I went a little too far. Nothing bad, just different from what you would see. 
Uh, and he said, that was the greatest sports cast I've ever seen. I want you to be my sports guy. I was like, and here's what I'm going to pay you. I'm like, all right, I'm in. And that's how I got in sports. <laughs> and just took, but let me tell you what, I had been turned down. I probably sent it out between 40 to 50 resume tapes around the country. I, I got nowhere. I got one guy in Mobile, Alabama, sent me a note and said, uh, we like your enthusiasm, not a fan of your look. I mean, it was, I was like, thank you. At least I know who I am. And so that made me even more determined to get a job in sports and, and not give it up. Because I tell people, the only person that's going to stop you is yourself. Right. I mean, I get all these rejection letters. There's nothing in those rejection. There's nothing you look at those rejection letters and say, well, Joe, you need to keep on going. You might have a future here. Nobody believed in me. I got so many doors slammed in my face. It wasn't even funny, but I never quit. And so it's hard to beat the person who never quits. And so I took advantage of every opportunity and just, again, learned every job. I can shoot the camera. I can edit. I can write. I can produce. They couldn't get rid of me. And it just took off from there. And so I was really lucky. Hard work goes a long way, boys. Just refuse to be outworked and out hustled. You'll get there. Yeah, I love I love that as just like a staple in life. Just refuse to be out hustled. Yeah. And and so, you know, you started out as as the cameraman, and then you do these these sports promos and stuff. When you first started out as a cameraman, you know, you played football in college. So, you know, obviously you have to have some type of affinity for sports. But yeah. did you always know, like, when you started out, you know, you go to get that journalism degree at MTSU and then you start as a cameraman. Did you know you wanted to end up in sports or when you started doing those promos? Is that when you were kind of like you wanted to be a sports caster? Right. Good question. So in mid 90s, that's when the ESPN2 started, the Stuart Scotts and the Rich Eisen's like, God, this is a lot of fun. It's not traditional sports cast. Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann were doing things like I want to be a part of that. And then you found out how hard it's to crack that door. And there's only a limited number of jobs there. It'd be a lot of fun. So you just find a way. If the front door's open, you go to the side door. Side door's not open, you go to the back door. Or go to that, you find a way to get in there. So I wanted to do that. But the more I started getting into telling stories and going around and seeing people in events and hosting things, uh, the sports thing was still there. But the community thing started growing more and more and being hyper-local. And you go to high schools, and they really appreciate you coming out there. And things like that gyms and events and you know openings of ballparks and stuff all comes together and so my love for sports broadcasting started going down just a tad bit I still enjoyed it my thing though is I wanted to get in sports broadcast to be completely different right when I started I had a consultant tell me to shave my goatee and mustache I said I'm not doing that because this is me well you won't get far okay let me write your name down too so when I do get far I'll remember who you are so I just kept on marching the beat of my own drum and sports is fun. So I, here's what I did. I treated sports broadcast. I want to be a sportscaster. I always said, I've got you for three to four minutes, right? So you give me three or four minutes of your day. You're tired. You're pissed off. You're mad at somebody. So come to me. Let's have some fun with things. And I always took it that way to make your three or four minutes to clearly do You know, anybody can read high. I tell anybody can read highlights. Anybody. Lipscomb Belmont. Here's a three-pointer, two-pointer. Belmont wins by four. You know, I went out and do things and I would show people in the crowd, you know, just people like, oh, it looks like that John Lovitz is here tonight. You find somebody who looks like somebody and have fun with that. So you're never really watching highlights. You're having a good time and just kind of making that job completely different. And that's where I came up with the idea. I don't know if you ever saw it for the stick figure uh, sports cat. I did. So when the Titans are playing on TV on another network, you cannot show their highlights because of broadcasting rules. Same way it goes for the NCAA tournament. So like when Tennessee's playing 
and instantly turn it on another channel where that window's still open, I can't show highlights. So I would go out and I would get stick figures and I'd write and I'd do highlight stick figures. I got nominated eight times for doing that for an Emmy Award. Only won once, right? But I got nominated eight times for doing that. And that's what people remember. You just got to be different. Don't do the same old thing. And I tell people all the time, find your own voice and do things completely different. If you only make yourself laugh, fantastic. If you're having the best time, man, people gravitate towards people who are having a good time. Like, I want to be part of that. And so that's how I try to do sports broadcasting now. You know, and I hate to say this now. I mean, it's it's all watch local national. It's boring. I mean, and that's another thing, too. I was watching, I'm not going to name what channel it was the other night, channel two, but they were doing a, uh, they did Roger Goodell's press conference from the uh, last week's Super Bowl, right? I can get that press conference on my phone, on ESPN, you know? I can't get the story of that dude at Cane Ridge, the best basketball, high school basketball player in America, who's going to play the McDonald's All-American game. Give me that story. Or give me the soccer player who's blown out both knees and who's making a comeback. All those stories are out there. But sports people have gotten so lazy, TV people, they won't go do it. So you're rehashing highlights that I've already seen. And that's like, no, don't do that. And so that's where my critical part comes in. Just be different because people are tuning out TV, local news all the time for things like that. So be, don't be lazy. I can go down the list for you. San Diego, Vegas, Phoenix, St. Louis, uh, West Palm Beach. I'm leaving some like Tampa, Detroit. Those are all St. Louis who all have let go of sports departments and TV stations because those TV guys and girls, they're lazy. Just go and press a satellite feed and they pull it down. I, that, that, I, I wouldn't pay for that. I wouldn't pay your salary for that. Go out enterprise and be different. Get off your butt and make a difference in the world. And that way you'll stick around, Lauren. You'll feel better about yourself. My, and I know I'm on a tangent here. I, I apologize. So good. high school football to me, right, is the purest form of any sport. And I know Absolutely. you can say soccer, baseball, but for me it is. Mike, Keith, and I have had this talk three dozen times about somehow, some way, if you're in sports broadcast, if you're in the sports world, stay grounded to high school football. I mean, Mike Keith was the PA announcer at BGA up to a couple of years ago. You don't have to do that, but he's still involved in what high school football is, how much fun it is. So to me, I've always said in TV, our biggest footprint was high school football. Now, the consultant and the boss are, well, the weather is. No, it's not. I get weather anywhere. I'm giving you a unique football coverage of high school. You park a van at Lebanon High School on a Friday night by the gate, and there's 3,000 people coming in. They're seeing your news van. When they see the reports on TV. They're going to go home and watch. And you do that every Friday night for 13, 14 Fridays every fall. Then you go and cover high school basketball, just something else to do. You build a following, and it stays with you forever. I mean, it's, you know, and I send notes to high school football coaches all the time. I'll send Twitter notes. I'll send them letters. Hey, man, hope you're doing good. Things are going well. Keep that contact up. Just be different. It's more than just a job, man, of doing your three minutes on TV. Let's have some fun with it and just get involved in that world, and you will not regret a single second of it. I, love, I absolutely love how you went on the little, the little high school football thing there, which I'll talk to in a second. Um, so I do enjoy that so much because if you did play high school football, like just even I'm sure you still like those are some of the fondest memories you can have is 
playing high school football with the same group of guys every Friday night. And so I just wanted to touch on that for a second because high school football really is just a, a different feeling. But the biggest thing I took from that tangent was that like a big staple for you and how you uh, sportscast is just being different. And I know you touched on this when we talked about high school, about being the class clown. And so I'm wondering, is that something you've tried tying into your sportscasting to be different is like to bring that like comedy and relatableness to sportscasting? Or do you find yourself being more different along the lines of being more localized with like the basketball player, the soccer player, these high school football coaches? It's, it's the answer is both because you can still do both. Uh, for example, Predators hockey, right? My, I had this joke the whole time. Every time the hot Predators got into a fight on the ice, I'd always say, look, it's a Dubin family reunion. And that joke worked for years, right? So you're being different in your highlights and the things you do with that, with basketball, whatever. Just be different with that. And then, but at the same time, you need to go out and enterprise these stories. So you need to go out and find really cool stories. Like a cool story I found out three years ago uh, was a story that I worked on for like three days nonstop. There was a lady here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, she was overweight, like by 200 pounds. So she said, you know, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to go for two years and I'm going to work hard. I'm going to run a marathon in November of 2018 in Nashville. So she trains, she trains, she trains, she trains. She's three weeks out from the marathon. She gets killed coming back from Panama City in a car wreck. So her best friend's devastated. So they take a they take a picture of her and they get that big head picture, you know, you hang on the wall, whatever. And her friends, she has 26 friends run a mile with her, with that picture. And they run. So the 26 mile, you know, it's 26.2 miles. The 26 mile, everybody comes back around and all 26 people run to the finish line together, right? So you're thinking, well, that's not really a sports story. You know what it is? It's a sports human interest story that I will never forget covering. Just the emotion of seeing that stuff. And it's local and it's our backyard and people see that and they can, man, that's a really good story. So you've got to put the sports broadcasting part with the highlights and everything else, but also go out and enterprise stories and care about things, show the different side of things. Not everybody's a football fan. I get that. Everybody's a predator, a hockey fan. I get all that. But there are a lot of great stories that are out there that we should tell. And so you want to be different, but you want to, be unique in your own way and still tell stories uh, that get you going. And another one, like for example, was in uh, Fort Campbell, which is in the national viewing area, uh, era, area, they had one of the players on the team. His dad was the first Fort Campbell soldier killed in combat during the Iraq war, 0304 right in there. So kid grew up without a father. So he goes to this. So other soldiers adopted this kid and in the state high school football game in 2008, he has like 36 tackles, destroys another team. They went, intercepts a pass at the two-yard line. They win the game. I got to tell the story about these people coming together for this kid. This, he got on CNN. CNN picked my story up. It goes there. And to see that, the emotion and the hard work you put into something on that scale where it's honoring somebody else is really cool, man. So some think that it's a job you go on and you just roll off highlights and you sit around and you go to dinner. Uh, you can do that. Those jobs, those people losing those jobs left and right 
You go out and become a good storyteller, a really good storyteller. It doesn't take much. Just don't screw a story up. Uh, you stick around for a while. So I try to do 50-50. Tell really good stories and have a really good on-air presence and enjoy yourself, you know, and, and like what you do and don't second guess what you do. Because you start second guessing what you're doing and then you lose sight of what you want to be and who you are. And it's just no fun after that. I resonate with that so much as a viewer of local news and news in general, because like you said earlier, like I can see so much on my phone. Like I don't, yeah. I, I'm on, I follow those uh, Nashville severe weather people on Twitter. And yeah. I literally, I literally, that's where I get my weather. Like I'm not, if there's a bad storm coming through, that's what I'm scrolling through. I'm not watching channel two or channel four. You know what I mean? So it's like, I just think that storytelling in that, setting is so important and finding interesting things and heartwarming things that people can relate to because we just see so much, we get so much information instantaneously. And that's what um, you do. And that's the thing too, is like, i tell you a story one time, like uh, 2015, the Pope came to America, right? So I'm with the Titans. I'm thinking, you know, what can I, how can I tie this in? It's, you know what? I'm going to ask every Titan player. Well, not everyone, but the ones I talked to, if the Pope came to Nashville, where would they take the Pope to dinner? And like, Half the people I talked to have no idea who the Pope was. And Chance Warmack's like, wait, is it that little dude with the big hat? You know, and so you get this different emotions and answers from these guys. It was a lot of fun. Like, who would you vote, you know, who would you vote for for mayor of Nashville and the Titans team? And the answers you get are just really cool. So, look, I can go out all day and hear Mike Vrabel talk about how tough it is and Kevin Byard about how well we got to play. Man, that is all just bilge to me and look up the word bilge is b-i-l-g-e look it up you'll understand it's just it doesn't hit me anymore you know i'm like i know you gotta play better and i know you're gonna win show me you you know the emotion of what you are and who you are and uh those are things you just got to be a little bit different in your approach and let the other people tell the story for you you know let other people tell the story and have fun with them and just guide them along that journey and you can do it with the Preds, high schools. It doesn't matter where you are. Just have some questions and be willing to have fun with it. So what is like, I guess people always, I've always wondered, I don't know if people do, but I have. What is the relationship like between news stations, like News Channel 2 and News 4 and News 5? Like, are you guys cool with each other? Is there a rivalry there? What's that kind of like? There, there is, you know, we, for the most part, we cover the same story. I mean, you go out, like, for example, in August, Titans training camp, do the same stories. You try to find different things that are going on out there. But for the most part, if Channel 5 needed a battery, here, here's a battery. You know, here, you know, if you're out there, who's that guy over there? For the most part, it's really good. Now, when it comes to exclusive stories like the lady in the marathon who passed away, mm-hmm. you're not getting that. You know, you'll see that when it airs. And that should be the same way at all the stations, you know. And But I kind of approach it like in life. I mean, if you got broke down the interstate, I see you in a Channel 5 car and I'm at Channel 4, I'm going to help you out because I'd like you to help me out if that comes to the point. But when I get those Fort Campbell stories, when I get the story like Lady Who Passed Away and other things that are going on, then I know you'll see it on the air. But for the most part, it's really, really good. Now, there are some who really take it to the next level who don't talk to you and stand away from you. There's a few in broadcasting here in Nashville locally that still do that, that I, I maybe said three words to. But that's because they want to be that way, and that's fine. I always took it as being insecure in a way. You know, I mean, if you kick my butt on a story, I applaud you. I've sent emails to dozens of reporters. Hey, man, great job. Nice story. Uh, you know, hopefully I'll get it next time because it's good to compliment things. If you hold it in to you, if somebody beat you on a story, you're like, oh, man, there was one time when I was at Channel 2 
It had something to do with Daryl Waltrip. I forget what it was. And I called Daryl Waltrip, couldn't call me back. Then at 10 o'clock, I forget what the story was. The lead story on Channel 5 was Daryl Waltrip doing this. But Daryl Waltrip and Hope Hines at Channel 5 were best friends. So I was going to crack that shell. I tried, but I was like, you know what? I did everything I could to get that story, but you're not going to beat a relationship. That's why I go back to relationships. Talking with Mike Keith, you form those relationships. So something goes on, and that instant you call someone up, say, hey, man, what's happening? You might talk to me. And nine times out of ten, they'll talk to you, and it's pretty good. So, But with the station relationships, it's not bad. I think it's about a nine out of ten. Um. So it's it's pretty good, but I know like a couple of times you've kind of maybe, you know, like with the, you said, saw a boring story and you're like channel two. So, I mean, do you, yeah. do you have like any kind of like a uh, low key beef with channel two or do you just like picking at them? I just don't like when you walk to the editing room and you press record on a press conference that you could see that happened six hours earlier that you can get anywhere. I mean, what are you what are you giving me? What are you giving me that I'm not getting off my phone? And that's the way, this wasn't a problem 25 years ago, obviously. But why can't you go out and do an enterprise story? I mean, we got all kind of cool stories that are happening here. So I, I just don't get you rolling at three o'clock and you get 60 seconds and you do a sport. I, I don't get it. And I don't watch that much anymore. Uh, but when I do, I see, I see the same thing. And you wonder why viewers are tuning out. There's this, you're not giving them anything. So, why can't you go out at one o'clock and find uh, a bowler, you know, who's bowled, you know, three, 300 games. I mean, I'd rather see that than a Roger Goodell press conference about whatever he was talking about. Well, I mean, go ahead and tell me a story in a minute 15. That's really cool. And then, you know, people share that story and go on and on. That's why I approach things and wanted to do it. But I just, I'm not a fan of how things are. It just, it's, there's a lot of laziness in sports broadcasting. Is, did that kind of uh, go into your decision of uh, – because you left two, Channel 2 for four, correct? I left two to go to ESPN Radio, 102.5 The Game. Yeah, gotcha. So did that kind of have something to do with it? Like the – you know, I'm not trying to ask you to, like, uh, dump on your old employer or whatever, but, like, did those kind of lazy-ish practices of not really trying to enterprise stories and stuff lead to you? Well, I, you know, I had a boss at Channel 2 at the time was like, you know, you, you can't uh, hold that story for 620 that happened at 10 o'clock. You know, don't tweet it out. I'm like, you know, this is back in 2010, yeah. 2011. I'm like, this guy doesn't get it. And plus, he was a bonehead anyway, my boss at Channel 2. And he proved himself to be a bonehead down the line because uh, he got fired and now he's out of TV. So then I go to radio, then I go back into Channel 4 2015, and I wanted to to tell stories and to have fun with it. But at the same time, I got, I didn't think with channel four, we were doing enough for the community. We were not doing community. So I went to, I did the more, I went, got on the morning show. And what started that was, I just got tired of covering the Titans. I got tired of waiting on Taylor Lawan to come out with some smart ass answer. So one day I'm on a deadline. He comes out of the shower. He's like, I ain't talking to y'all today. Then he goes, plays grab ass with Ben Jones in the corner for 10 minutes when he could have given us a couple interviews and be done with it. And I said, I'm not wasting my life and stressing out over a 24 year old kid. And I want to get out. That's how I left. And I just, I wouldn't do it anymore. I wasn't going to stand over there and do that. I mean, God bless the guys like Jim White and other people. That's their job. I get all of it. I didn't want to do that. So there was kind of a collision, perfect storm of 
want to get out of sports. I saw because my time in sports was getting cut from six minutes to four minutes to two. I'll never forget a quick story. Uh, my time kept getting cut at 10 o'clock, six minutes, four minutes, two minutes. Then finally, I had a producer said, well, you have to come fight for your time at 10 o'clock. And I said, let me ask you this. Am I still getting paid the same salary? And he was like, well, absolutely you are. I said, then I'm good. I don't have anything for 10. He's like, well, hold on, hold on. Let, let's talk about this. And I was like, don't screw with me. Let me do my thing. I know what I'm doing. Let me do it. If you have any criticism, let's talk about it. But don't tell me to fight for my time. I'm not doing that. And so anyway, long story short, I go on the morning show because I want to do stuff in the community because I felt like as a TV station, you need to do more community stuff. And not a single TV station does that now. Did what I did. Go out and tell cool stories because consultants have told them that nobody cares when that's completely wrong. Consultants say nobody's got attention span over a minute. Don't do a story longer than a minute. Don't go this area, that area. It's terrible. It's consultants have ruined it. Let's go out and just tell stories and be different. What happens and works in Kansas City and Denver not going to work in Nashville and vice versa. So, and then COVID hit and then had a boss at Channel 4 who was like, well, you know, we need more kind of serious COVID stories. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go out and show you that small business who is fighting for their life and need help or that dry cleaners or that new company or wherever or a candy store. That need. I'm going to show those people who are struggling and fighting and staying in business because people are supporting them. That's what people care about. And we did a great job. Justin Beasley and I did a great job of telling those stories uh, every single day. And so I just got tired of the consultants like, well, nobody cares about those stories. I totally, totally disagreed. I even wrote a story about it where I'm now at Main Street Nashville about, you know, counting all the red cars. When, you know, my son had an assignment when he was in third grade. His teacher said, I want you to go out this afternoon and count all the red cars. So what do you do? You go find red cars. So we count like 28 red cars a day. I applied that to positive stories, right? If you want to find positive stories, you will look for positive stories. If you want to find negative stories, you'll look for negative stories. I choose to only find positive stories. Consultants didn't like that because they felt that nobody cared in this time of COVID and they're completely wrong. Okay. So I, uh, oh, go ahead, Karen. You're good. Oh yeah. Okay. So just kind of mapping out what you've laid out, you, you get into the media, you're the cameraman, and then you find your kind of niche in sports broadcasting, but then you kind of get tired of that. But even while you're in the sports <laughs> casting, you kind of find a way to bring to light the different stories you can find as a sportscaster. And then you get tired of that. And then you're doing the morning show and you're doing like the breath of fresh air. You know, if you want to watch right. something, super sad, super depressing, you know, CBS this morning, every 7am, you know, you can go watch that. Yeah. So do you think all along, maybe even when you were sports, sports wasn't what you wanted to do, just wherever you were at, you really wanted to just bring that breath of fresh air of finding good local stories that people wanted to hear instead of just something you could hit record on or, you know, look up something sad if you wanted to. That's a great question. What happened was, when I saw them starting to take my time away from sports at six to 10 o'clock, when, you know, weather would go over and like, ah, we got to take two minutes from your weather went over. It showed me that they didn't really care about what was going on in the sports world. And in 2018, our boss, we had 10 minutes for high school football on a Friday night. Our boss came to us and said, Hey, I'm going to cut you guys in half. It's the back half of the newscast. People are tuning out. People tune out the back half of the newscast anyway. 
So they were taking my time from me. And there was, I was giving nothing. You take my time, I'm getting nothing back, right? I'm getting told that nobody's watching. We're going to put time over there. So the first Friday night, they took our time away from us. And I kid you not, I watched in front of the TV. I was at Channel 4. I said, what story did they, they took my time away from me. What story are they going to run? They ran a damn story about a turtle getting lost in a school in New Jersey, <laughs> right? That's what I lost my time on. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Consultants have ruined news. Corporations hiring consultants have ruined news. I'm not going to work on a ship that's sinking, right? I'm going to find my own life best, get out there and find a place that embraces free, positive thought, hard work. And I've got that at Main Street Nashville. I mean, I got a streaming show in the morning on 17 different platforms. I get the right columns. I got a podcast. I mean, I'm in heaven now. I've got a boss who says, you know what? You go do you. We hired you for you. It's a boss that lives here in Nashville and enjoys it. And so until television, I had dreams, guys. I, I'd have been a sports. I could have stayed at Channel 4 Sportscaster forever, right? But what is the challenge for me? What's the challenge? If you're cutting my time. And what's the challenge that you're going to get from me? There's not one there. You know, let me go ahead and fill the five minutes with great, fun, different stories and treat every sports cast like it's a weekend update on SNL back when it used to be funny. Those were good times. So I saw everything changing and evolving and not in a way that I really liked. And so I'm going to get out and create my own happiness. And that's what I did. And uh, I, I, I feel I, I haven't been this happier in my professional life ever. And we're now going on 26 years in media. I just, there's no stress. There's no, I go out and go out and tell pri, uh, positive stories every day. You know, and I might dabble back in sports broadcasting, but there's a few things out there that I'm working on. But if I get back in and I, you know, and I freelance, I'm not changing. I'm going to still do the sports cast I did two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten 10 years ago. I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to give you something to take away from it. And the greatest compliment I got was, had a guy I worked with, he's, he said, you know what? My wife doesn't like sports, but you make her laugh. So we stay up and watch you at 10 o'clock. I'm like, fantastic. That's how it goes. But the consultants have ruined so much in news that I'm not, I wasn't going to work on a sinking ship. Where do you think that this has come from? Because it, it seems like just news in general, local, national, everything has just changed so much and not for the better. Where do you think these consultants are coming from? What kind of ideas do they have? Why is it? What, why are they doing this? Well, they do these research things that to say people want only want hard news, only want hard news. We want hard news. We want the crime around the corner and all that. Okay. I mean, there is a place for that newscast, right? But not for 30 minutes. And I think consultants take the easy way out because they know that if you just preach crime and murder and blood and wrecks, that people, there's sort of that Jerry Springer, Maury Povich audience that will watch no matter what. But there's a lot of people that are turned off by that. And they want to see decent, good community, great stories, positive stories that are happening out there. And you can do it in a 30-second soundbite and video. You can do all that stuff. Just a lot of laziness going on that. So the consultants have done that. Now, man, you watch it, and it's just like, what are you doing? I, mean, I sat in those meetings where the news managers had no clue what was going on. And, you know, reporters getting stories out of the paper. I was like, this is not how you know. There's no enterprising going on there. And it just, I don't know, I lost a lot of hope and faith in where things are going overall in the news business. 
And I haven't seen, again, I don't watch that much anymore. And, you know, I, my boss at Channel 4, who's long gone, thank God he was terrible, told me that they've given up on the 10 o'clock news. I'm like, why? He's like, Netflix, we don't care anymore at 10. I'm like, did you tell your 10 o'clock crew this? No, no, they'll, they'll find out eventually. Huh? You're the boss. You're telling me you're going to capsize a 10 o'clock show because of Netflix? Go tell them. So, you know, the streaming stuff has played a big deal in it. But again, it's the consultants have just made this. And if so, if you're a news director, all right, let's take you, Trey, you're a news director, right? And you make bad decisions, you're going to be fired. Well, you bring a consultant in, he makes all the bad decisions. You're like, hey, I'm just doing what the consultant told me. You yeah. keep your job. There's no accountability down the line. No accountability at all. That's why people are looking out for new things like I'm doing on Main Street Media, like your podcast. I mean, we're looking for good. We can find this stuff now. It doesn't have to be on the 10 o'clock news. I can find your podcast. I can find things I've done, other things that you look on. You can find on your phone and search good, positive stories that you want to find out. And TV is yet to figure that out. And why more TV stations aren't doing this? podcast stuff and you know we use StreamYard and bring guests on every morning it's fantastic but why more tv stations aren't going off the grid doing this i have no idea this is just a i mean in my opinion like with how big podcasts and more long-form conversations are shows that those one minute clips you know i, I don't know i think people crave more conversation more explanation yeah. you know they do and that's the whole thing you know people are like oh the screaming heads on espn well, sometimes there's good or Fox Sports, or whatever, or CNN, Fox, whatever your taste is. I don't care. But sometimes you know, there's good information on there you can see. And that's the thing with podcasts. I mean, a lot of people love Joe Rogan. A lot of people hate Joe Rogan. But you're going to listen to him if you like him. Yeah. You're going to find this stuff out and see those things because now you can cater to your different tastes and what's going on. And so nobody's sitting around watching the 10 o'clock news anymore. You're, just, you're talking about the Nashville Severe Weather guys. I mean, what those guys have done is should be – page one of a social media book yes, they've taken 100%. that and run with it and had fun with it and get the information that should be page one of how to do it in social media that's where this is going and always you know we always laugh about facebook you know ah, facebook facebook is massively powerful massively powerful it's not going anywhere for a long time and then so people are reaching out you can find your news there and good positive stuff so the more that People are searching that stuff out. It's going to be there unless they're going to watch local news. You've talked a lot about kind of what it seems like the rise and the fall of, of being on like TV and maybe even being a media personality in Nashville, you know, with these consultants coming in and then these news channels kind of tanking a little bit with the rise of social media podcasts. Meanwhile, Nashville's growing like crazy. So what I'm kind of asking is like, since you've been in the media game in Nashville for so long and you've seen these stations tank and then social media and podcasts rise, like what has it been like being a personality in Nashville and how much has it changed? Well, it has to be usually you'd go out before I'd get, you know, recognized everywhere I'd go, which is part of the job. It's fine. People are great. They're friendly, but so many people are moving here and so that was the cause for my boss a couple years ago at Channel 4. It's like, you know, there's 100 people moving here today. They don't know who Demetri Kalademos was. All they know is what they see now. Let's forge and go forward. And I understand all that. But you also, in the time where people are moving here, 
a lot of families are moving here. Like my son plays high school football, you know, at six o'clock, I'm either just practice or watching this game. So I see what I'm going to see on, on the phone later on. That's why social media has become so important. That's why these TV stations need to put a lot of their content on there, but they haven't yet figured out how to monetize it. That's the problem. So you see all these new people moving in here and it's really caused a crux where you do coverage. We've got so many people moving to Murfreesboro. So you go down and do all Murfreesboro stories. Well, if I just move to Murfreesboro, I know Murphy. I want to watch that. But if I move to Hendersonville or Clarksville, I probably don't care about Murfreesboro. So there's all these different things that are going on. TV landscape's changing like never before, like never before. And I don't know where it ends. I don't know where it stops. I don't know where it's going to go. But I know when it keeps going like that, and TV stations need to figure out what's happening. And that's why I put a bureau, a reporter assigned to Murfreesboro, Hendersonville, Gallatin, Dixon, whatever, and every day have them turn a story. Hey, let's go to our Dixon reporter. Doesn't have to be long, you know, two minutes, minute and a half, to show that you're there and you're concerned about what's happening in the community. And then people start watching, oh, there's that Channel 4 guy. He's doing a story. I live in Dixon. I'm going to watch tonight. It's just keep reinventing yourself. It's not that difficult. Don't go two minutes from the TV station and do a story about a pothole. That's not affecting anybody. Get out in the community. And that's why when I live sports, I want to get out in the community and tell these stories. There's some wonderful stories all around Middle Tennessee, man. And they're not being told. And I'm going to tell as many of those as I can. You have a favorite story from maybe Big Joe on the go or any anything that you've kind of done. I know you talked about that the the runner before, but just a place in Nashville you've been or a person that you've covered in yeah, Nashville. There, there was a, this is so much like a sports story. I was uh, I golfed at a golf tournament one time in a celebrity golf tournament. My joke was I always like to see people's faces when I walk up because you know you're playing like Vince Gill and whoever else, and then there's me. And every time it just disappoints people, they're like, oh, God. So I show up this golfer one day, and I have to golf with this guy named Mike Ridings. And Mike's in the golf cart, and he's like, oh, God, it's you. But he was having fun with me. So we go, we're golfing this tournament. Mike gets out, and he's short. I'm like, why is he short? Well, Mike, had both his legs were blown up in Vietnam, and he was a scratch golfer. And I spent a whole like four hours with a golfer one day. He was fantastic. I said, you know what, Mike? I'm going to come out and tell a story about how you became a scratch golfer. He's like, you won't believe this story if I tell you. So I went out. He was working at Forest Crossings in Franklin. He said, let's go on the course. And he was an Army medic, stepped on a rice paddy, blew both his legs up, was in a uh, hospital in Oakland for a year. Nobody, he almost died. He played music, moved to Nashville, and got married great guy and he was just depressed so he went one time go by golf place he's like i want to golf and instead of the guy at the golf shop laughing at him the guy said yeah we're going to do this you need to golf so it saved his life so mike tells me the story man i aired on a sunday night he's just great so gracious and talks about how golf saved his life and you know here's a guy that walks out you know on you know i know it's not fully correct to say but two stubs and he hits the ball 250 yards down the middle of the fairway. He's like, top that, big boy. And I can't. I mean, he was so wonderful. So I heard this story on a Sunday night on Channel 2. And my phone rings after the show. And it's this producer for ESPN and says, uh, man, I'm speechless over that story. Do you mind if I take that story to the next level? I'm like, God, no, not at all, man. Long story short, ESPN got with them. 
and his dream was to golf at St. Andrews. He became the first disabled golfer to ever golf at St. Andrews. His best friend was going to go with him and golf over there. His best friend died of a heart attack a month before they left. So this story, one of it was on the SBs, um, and it, it took it to a whole nother level. And I don't forget, Mike called me and uh, he was crying. He's like, "Hey, I just want to, I got to give you credit." So I'm like, "Man, you don't. I am just a conduit, man. I just told a story, and I got the reaction I wanted. They took it to the next level." And he's like, "Well, I got to do things I never thought I would do because you took an interest in me." I'm like, man, you're, you're the story. It's my pleasure. So a year later, he meets Jack Nicholas. He's a celebrity golf tournament. I mean, great time. And about six weeks after, he calls me back up again. I'm like, hey, man, what are you thanking me for this time? We laughed. And he said, I just want to let you know that I've got brain cancer and I got three months to live. And he lasted about six weeks and he died. And uh, that conversation with him of, him telling me how I changed his life and made his life complete. And then his daughter's reaching out to me. Uh, that's something I'll never forget, man. You know, and it was just, I didn't tell the story for all that. I just wanted to tell a story on this amazing man who just really opened my eyes to the world. And he's, he's a guy that just got off his butt, man, and wanted to change his life. And he made it happen. And I'll never forget him as long as I live. That's the guy, that's the most important story I think I've ever told incredible that's 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 awesome yeah that's um, almost speechless right there yeah yeah I, I mean i've got another question or two but i'm like wow sure. uh so i'm i've got one more um and then karen probably has one more and then we'll ask about a little bit more about main street and then we'll we'll be sure. done um but my my last question was uh spill spill the beans on logan ryan oh okay <laughs> so logan ryan extremely rude and condescending so it was 2018 they had an open week and he's doing this pet adoption and his agent reaches out to him and says, hey uh logan's a big fan bs he he had no idea who i was and logan was coming on the show today and talk about his charity and then that saturday he's got a big event in antioch where they're spaying and neutering pets all right no problem so justin beasley goes out there he's the only reporter it's pouring down rain justin's out there for like three hours and Justin comes back and says, you know, it's a good story, but uh, Logan never said thank you. And it just, all that was going on, and, and Justin's a great dude. I'm thinking, man, all right, he's coming on the show tomorrow night. So we move our show around, the Sunday night show that nobody watches, which is an awful, awful Sunday night TV show, sports show. They're, they're all awful. And this Ours was especially awful. And he comes in, he's late. He's condescending. He's a smart ass. And when we're done, he just walks out. And I said, that, not even a thank you. Not even a single thank you. And just the way he did that and come to realize that it wasn't just with us. He did that for a lot of people. So, and then, you know, there was some in the media like, why don't the Titans sign, re-sign Logan Ryan? And I'm thinking, they're paying $10 million. He can't cover a slot guy. I could do that for $100,000 a year. This guy's an ass. And he was. And the more people started seeing it, somebody made that, you know, that condescending comment about Tennessee fans don't get it. After we adopted all those dogs and did all these stories for him, and he's going to yeah. call all of us and say, we don't care. I mean, get out of here. And yeah. then I see him on the stage, the Walter Payton thing. I'm like, because he's on the stage, that award to me is a little less because he got not just a little less. Because he's all for show. And that's why I couldn't stand it. 
Exactly. It all started with, look, I don't ask for a lot, but a simple thank you sometimes goes a long way. Hey, man, thank you. There's a lot of other guys have done that. I mean, a lot of other guys. We covered the Taylor Lewan. He did the hurricane benefit for Houston, and we came out on a Sunday afternoon. Hey, man, thank you for coming out here. I know you're busy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all we need. Yep. So thank you. Nothing else. And Logan Ryan never did that. I know it's petty, but it showed me who he was. And when he made that comment, we all saw who he was. It's I. It's so hard to follow up the the story about Mike and then the spilling the beans on Logan. Yeah. But just like a kind of like you know we're towards the end of wrapping up and stuff, and so you know you've been nominated for you know several Emmys. You've won twenty. Twenty. Yeah. There you go. Twenty. Yeah. <laughs> Shout yourself out there, and you've won three, four, three, 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 three. and you know. With that, you know, the, the story about Mike reaching the ESPYs and then even just being able to meet Mike himself, I was just wanting to know, like, what stands among the rest of, like, some of your favorite career achievements or if you kind of don't care much about the achievements and the people you meet are the achievements. But, yeah, just talk a little bit about that. I think the, the awards are nice because they recognize your hard work, you know, and, you know, you get nominated 20. I, I've lost the first 10 or 11. And so it became a joke after that. But, you know, I mean, we all, they say, no, oh, I don't care about the, they do. We're, we all care about the awards, but it's the journey along the way with the mic and the lady who passed away. I never got to meet her uh, during the marathon, but then the Fort Campbell, the kid, the Fort Campbell soldier. I mean, the little stories like that, they really stand stay with you for so long but the Mike story he's the one because how it started and just how I learned a lot about myself on that of you know who is this guy who's he think he is you know and he gets out of the car and he's walking on two stubs and just a fantastic beautiful man that I, I miss every day uh I, I know I'm leaving out a story or two along the way and I'm leaving out moments like you know going to Super Bowl with the Titans in 99 Stanley Cup ride uh, 2017, going to the AFC Championship game two years ago, and it was eight degrees in Kansas City, and our equipment froze, and just all the things that happened along the way that you don't get to see behind the scenes, and the fun, and the people you get to meet, and you know, and there's a, things that happen like at Titans, which stand out, like uh, we showed on, on a Wednesday practice the Titans, and Malarkey was the coach. I remember the New Orleans game where Mariota rolled one way and reversed the other way and hit Anthony Fasano in the yeah. corner of the end zone. They won the game at overtime. Uh, I showed that play at practice on a Wednesday. It was an open part of the practice. And I showed that. And I'll never forget, uh, the next week, I'm shooting another video. And then I see Malarkey come walking up in my camera. He said, hey, can you turn it off? I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. He said, we, if you don't mind showing this stuff again, because we were not going to run that play to win the game because we saw your video on Channel 4. And we thought the Saints might see that video as well. And I'm thinking, there's no way in hell Sean Payton is watching a Channel 4 sportscast to see this crazy tight end throwback play you're going to run. And for me, that's a moment that just stands out in the world of broadcasting in my career of all that. It was just, it's an odd moment. You know, it's just an odd moment for me. So I've got a lot of good stories, a lot of very weird, surreal, odd moments in my career none of which I would ever change. I mean, that that is definitely a fact. Just sitting here and listening, there have been times where, like, I just find myself lost 
just looking at you talk because some of these yeah. stories have just been so cool to listen to. And I'm really glad we've covered, it seems like we've covered a lot of different parts of your career until now. And so before we, we before we really wrap up, we definitely want to talk some more about Main Street because that's what you're doing now. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but whenever you said earlier, you have a boss who kind of lets you do you and you have your podcast mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, is, is Main Street, you know, talk about how it got started, but just to make a comparison here, is it almost like a, like a bar stool in Nashville? You know, they kind of employ personalities. No, no, to, no nothing like it's that. A, it's a, we got 15 newspapers around middle Tennessee and they're just community newspapers and they're really popular and they got a huge reach. And so I just started out a blog that for some odd reasons, kind of popular. And I don't know why just writing stories. And so I would send him notes. I'd be like, Hey man, put this in the paper. I don't want any money for it, but one they led to another. And he's like, Hey, I'm getting a lot of response off your articles. If you ever leave channel four, let's talk. And so I left channel four and he's like, Hey, how about doing a streaming TV show? You still write for me. And so that's where it started at main street, Nashville. And it just took off from there. And I got to tell you, I've been overwhelmed. I was reading before I came on, I've read an email from a, a guy who I wrote a story about traffic and how people are telling you around Nashville now, how to get from point A to point B. They're always saying, oh, it's about 15 minutes from here. Well, that's what we told people 30 years ago. Now it's like 55 minutes to go 15 minutes. And so that, he was just commenting about that story, but I've never gotten the response I get now that I got on TV. I mean, I get people emailing me all the time about stories and how it touched their lives. And I'll leave you the real quick story, uh, how I know I made the right move. I wrote a story, uh, my belt broke, right? Just a stupid belt, leather belt. It broke the day before my daughter graduated from nursing school back in May. I'm thinking, man, I gotta get a new belt. When did I buy this belt? Well, I bought that belt the day my son graduated from pre-K. And then a month later, my mother passed away. So I, my son graduates, I bury my mother. I go through all these changes in my life and that same belt, I get the same belt, you know? And then my daughter graduates, and it, it breaks the day before. And I, so I, I this, I'm like, I've had this belt, this, just a stupid belt. So I'm at Baja Burrito in Murfreesboro. And this lady walks up to me and says, hi, are you Big Joe? And I'm like, she's an older lady. I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, uh, the article you wrote about not throwing your belt away touched me. I said, well, thank you so much. She's like, here's why. My husband passed away last year. He's got like 40 pairs of shoes. And we were married like 55 years. And my kids say, mom, get rid of those shoes. And I said, I don't want to because those are the shoes that dad had when you graduated high school or college, you had a baby. And your article made me realize that I don't need to get rid of those shoes. So thank you. And then she was gone. And I'm thinking, good Lord, when I write that stuff, I don't think anybody reads it. And how it just resonated with her and how it made her decision to keep these very important shoes around. Then I knew the good Lord's telling me, Joe, you made the right move. And that's where it was. Joe, I just want to say from Trey and I that this has been an amazing episode of Victory Monday. Um, Just all the stories and definitely you can tell how passionate you are with Nashville and getting real stories to the people instead of just seeing the lazy repetitiveness of right. the, the news channels now. And, you know, if there's one thing I'm sure a lot of people can't stand, it's just laziness and lack of accountability. Yep. So I'm Bingo. so glad. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so glad that we were able to have you on. 
Um, is there anything that you'd like to say before we uh, log off of here? No, I appreciate the opportunity. Anytime you can talk about things you're passionate about. And sometimes, you know, you're like, well, you come out a little bit too harsh and rough. Well, I mean, you know, I am passionate about things and way things should be changed. I think we sit idly by nothing ever gets changed. And you know what the definition of insanity is, right? The same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Let's not do that in our lives. Let's not do the same thing over again. Let's just go out and make a huge difference. It's not that hard to do. Yeah, I agree completely. And with that, I just want to say thank you again. Um, I'll make sure to keep up with Big Joe on the go with your podcast and Mainstream Nashville, Mainstream, Main Street Nashville. And I'm really glad you guys got on and share your passions for journalism and everything. And so with that, we will wrap up this episode of Victory Monday.